Welcome to the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. We come to you weekly from Shilling Speakers Toastmasters Club. An online club with global membership in District 91 in the UK. Hello and welcome everyone to the Shilling Speakers podcast. This week we have me, Philippa Gray and Pat Caslin. Thank you, Philippa. Good evening, everyone. So to start with, we will share our big ideas. My big idea this week, actually, it's really not big, it's definitely not original, but I have started, once again, keeping a diary, and I'm determined to keep it up. I've realised that the best way to find out what you think about something is try to write it down. So I'm not just trying to write a diary, but I'm trying to keep a record of what I'm reading, what I'm listening to, what I'm learning. And I've managed three entries, which is 50% more than any other diary I've ever started. So I hope I'll be able to keep going. But that's my big idea for the week, keep a diary. But what about you, Pat? I've got two ideas and they're related because I think both of them are attributable to George Bernard Shaw, the Irish playwright and author. And the first one is this. He says, the reasonable man adapts to the world. The unreasonable man bends the world to himself. Therefore, all progress only happens because of unreasonable men. And I wonder to myself, is that the case? And, you know, I think it probably is to some extent, because sometimes you've got to break the mold and be unreasonable and think differently, think contrary to what the mass is thinking and therefore make progress or introduce new ideas. And yes, I do think that that is the case. And sometimes you have to be unreasonable. Does it mean that everybody who comes up with something new is unreasonable? No, but it is a little bit like the word kairos, an idea whose time has come. And maybe when ideas whose time have come, come to us, they're not unreasonable anymore. But very often, yes, we do have to be unreasonable. And the other quote from George Bernard Shaw, slightly different, but I think it's also attributed to Voltaire before him was, I'm writing you a long letter because I don't have time to write you a short one. And isn't that so true? When we write, we write these streams of consciousness that express a thought just straight out of our brain, dump it on a page, and very often just send it off as it is without much editing. And generally that turns out to be flabby, overwritten, not well thought out, not structured, not focused on the reader. And good writing makes the writer sweat rather than the reader sweat. Because if the reader is sweating over what's being written, well, then the writer hasn't been clear in his message. So when I'm writing stuff, I probably spend a long time, maybe longer than I should, but I do try and get some sort of precision in the idea that I'm trying to write. And I probably spend a good bit of time over editing and re-editing it until I'm clear on what it is I'm trying to say, unless it's a casual thought that it can be expressed quickly. But I do think it's worthwhile if you are writing something to try and spend time to get the words right, to choose them carefully, and to express your idea 
as you would like the reader to understand it so that it's easy for them to understand and it's well expressed and it has some elegance in the way that it's written and that it will stand out. Think about this. Who do you want to sweat, the reader or the writer? I suggest to you that it's the writer who should be doing the sweating if it's the reader that you want to engage. That's my big thoughts for the week for the book. Thank you, Pat. I completely agree with that. Well worth time taking, spending time over writing. You've reminded me of when I used to work with people across the world and I had to adapt my writing to non-English speakers. And not only did I have to express things as exactly and concisely as possible, I also learned that I had to put the important bit of the message in the first sentence. And it was surprising how much it hurt not starting your email. Hello, how are you? Did you have a good weekend? But just go straight in. I please do this by this date. And by the way, did you have a good time at the weekend? Um, you always put the irrelevant stuff at the end. So if somebody was feeling tired, they got the message and they could stop there. But that was that was good discipline. But I never got as far as expressing myself elegantly, I'm afraid. I am I trying to focus on that now. I would go on further than that, actually, in this respect. The first thing is the headline or the banner on your letter or your email should be really clear as to what it's about. That's the very first thing so that people say, oh, yeah, I need to read this. The second thing should be to say to them why this is going to be important for them at the outset so that they continue to read. And the third thing is I would always conclude with the call to action. The call to action should be the last thing because the call to action should reiterate the benefits of acting on that call. For that reason, I would be disinclined to leave a letter just without a, a clear call to action, because otherwise I'm wondering why you're, sending, you're spending it. So I agree with you, get your, get your main point. This is, this is why this would be a benefit to you out early. But I would leave always with the call to action. It's the same as finishing a speech with thank you. Thank you basically says, you can go now and you don't have to ever remember what I said. But if you say your foundational phrase or your final thing should be, this is what I want you to know, do, think, remember after you leave. So your call to action should be there and it should also let them know this is why you're, this is how this will benefit you. And how many presentations have you seen where the speaker ends with thank you, which is kind of you're all dismissed and I'm not sure what I was doing here anyway. Good point, Pat. That's our big thoughts for the week, everybody. And that brings us to the end of part one of our show this week. Our guest this week in part two of our show is Jorge Trevino. Jorge is from Mexico, from Monterrey, and is a member of Schilling Speakers. Jorge, give us a little bit of your background, because I don't think a lot of us know a lot about you. Yes, sure, Pat, and thank you for the invitation. This is actually the second time I'm on a podcast. 
I am probably feeling nervous, but as a Toastmaster, even if you feel nervous, you have to do it, right? So I want to talk to you and share with your audience about my first passion was computers. When I was very little, I already knew what I wanted to do with my life. I, I like to play video games in computers. I like to click the computers and people always saw me having a relationship with computers. I ended up studying computer science engineering. One of my closest friends, uh, sisters, once called me a compuman. I think it's a blend between a computer and a man. And basically that represents me. I guess if you look in a dictionary for that word, you would probably find a picture of me. That became my passion. And I, I basically have been working with computers most of my life, even today. But uh, in, in, in recent years, other than working uh, closely with computers, being a, a very serious guy, I, I talk with my friends, with my close friends, but I was more of an introvert. I still consider myself an introvert, but probably on social gatherings, I, I'm more extroverted. Right now, in this point of my life, I'm actually working as a project manager, as a scrum master, which is a, a common uh, wording uh, that is very famous today. And my position currently in a company called Signify, which was born from Phyllis, is Agile Coach, which basically is coaching teams to use this type of uh, frameworks, Scrum, Kanban, and, and different. How did I end up having these leadership skills? I joined this uh, organization called Toastmasters in 2016, and that basically changed my life. I started communicating better. I learned how to communicate properly, to actually listen to people because I, I wasn't a good listener in the past. Now I am. I actually get to shut up most of the time right now. <laughs> but in this podcast, I can, I can talk a lot. I think one of my passions right now is uh, helping out others in uh, storytelling. That's basically who I am at this moment in time, Pat. Fantastic. Tell me about storytelling. Where's the big motivation for that and why do you think that's important good question and that basically brings me to a movie called star wars i think i was i don't know three years old four years old i don't remember let me i was the 80s so probably i was five and i was seeing the, the this movie star wars the empire strikes back the hero, Lucas Skywalker, is fighting the villain, Darth Vader. And suddenly Darth Vader reveals the following phrase. I am your father. I was like, what? The good guy and the bad guy are related? They're father and son? That's interesting. So that caused an impact in me. That's when I learned the power of stories. When you tell a story, you basically cause an impact in the listeners, the audience, whoever is uh, watching that piece that you are mentioning. I love stories. Since then, I probably have written short stories. I have talked with uh, other people about stories, uh, tell them stories on social gatherings, in Toastmaster clubs. I think it's a skill that everybody has and everybody can develop to, to make it better. I love stories. 
do you think we do storytelling well in Toastmasters or do you think we can do it better? Oh, that's a good question. I have seen a lot of people in Toastmasters tell great stories. I think other people are starting to learn how to tell stories. I will mention it as a, as a skill that continuously can be developed. Even the best storytellers can still learn to make it better. And people who are starting out to tell stories can actually learn that skill. And Toastmaster is a good place to start. What are the elements of a good story for you, Jorge? Good question. First of all, you have to have a conflict. If you tell a story like, hey, one day I got up and I felt great, the end, nobody's going to like that. You need to tell a story where there's a struggle. Like, for example, if I tell you, I woke up, I look outside my window, and there was a dinosaur there. You basically want to know what that dinosaur is going to do. Is it going to eat me and I'm going to escape? Is it just a dream? Whatever reason or whatever conclusion I give you, you have to start with a conflict. Now, we also have to have characters, at least the main character, someone that is experiencing the story. And then this conflict must be resolved somehow. So this hero is going to have a journey in which these struggles, he will probably have one, two, three struggles, but we, we need to end in a climatic moment in which the hero actually faces this conflict, which could be another character or another situation on the story. And once this uh, climax is reached, a resolution happens, the hero wins, the hero loses, but in the end, the hero learns something. And that resolution is the moral of the story, which is what the people listening to the story will take. So those are the elements that you have in a story. That is the best explanation of storytelling that I have heard in a very long time, because you put those elements of the story, the context, the characters, the tension, the resolution, and the moral or the lesson or the learning in wonderfully simple language. You know, what a great way to express what stories are. And what a great way to do it, because you tell all your stories with some humor in them. I think humor, it's, a, it's an interesting topic because when I started uh, in using humor on uh, Toastmaster speeches, Toastmasters thought that I could be a stand-up comedian. And I actually believed that myself. I said, oh, I can do this. I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. Everybody says that. So I went and started learning how to become a stand-up comedian. And I met this person from Argentina at a Toastmaster club. He's actually a stand-up comedian in his spare time. So he gave me a course. And that was the person that told me, you know what? Stand-up comedy is a skill. Toastmaster is another skill. You could use humor at Toastmaster, but that doesn't mean you're a stand-up comedian. And then he told me, what do you want to actually learn? Do you want to be a stand-up comedian or do you want to be a Toastmaster that uses humor? No, I want to be a Toastmaster that uses humor. So you could use the elements of stand-up comedy, add a speech and bring humor to your speeches. But stand-up comedy is a different skill and a different ballpark. What's the essence of good humor for you? 
I think the essence of uh, good humor is the tension. When you say something that uh, causes tension to people, universal things like how are you feeling at a certain point in a story, and you bring it up and you share it with your audience, that causes humor because people are actually feeling uh, that tension. If, for example, uh, in a story I was telling, I'm about to jump from a bungee and that causes tension. I mean, everybody is thinking of the jump and everybody's picturing themselves actually doing the jump. And then you say, oh my God, don't let me die or something like that. People will actually be thinking that. So that's, that's the humor. The humor is basically sharing what you are feeling. And if that feeling is, with bad words or something, even better. <laughs> yeah, it's the idea of whether people are observing your story or are they participating in your story. And what you're talking about there is getting the audience to participate in your story, which is so much stronger than getting them to observe your story. Because if they participated, well, then they are in your story rather than outside your story. And they're part of your story, which is really, really strong. What are the other things that you think we can do better as Toastmasters, in addition to storytelling and humor? I think as Toastmasters, I mean, I don't know what is the goal of every person that joins Toastmaster, but I can share you my goal. I actually want to become a professional speaker. I have done uh, speeches outside of the Toastmaster frame. I could say that I have participated also in Toastmasters special events in which they want to open a group. So the audience is actually not a Toastmaster. So it's, it's kind of different when you go outside of Toastmasters because in Toastmasters, everybody is going to encourage you. Everybody's there to help you out. But when you go outside of those frames, it's different. You actually, you actually need to make changes. If uh, something is not going well, you see the audience reaction. So probably drop in a story. So it's all about preparation, I think, for me. Preparation, Toastmaster is a place where I can go and rehearse a speech or try a new thing. But for me, speaking is not just about going to Toastmasters and learning everything there. I think... Outside of Toastmasters, I have done a lot of things. I, I once joined a, a theater class to learn about acting, to have those type of uh, dynamics, different dynamics in which uh, it's, it's, it's more of about impromptu. Like you are having this emotion and you are in this situation, act it out. So that helps you in the creativity part of speeches, I believe. Because when, when, when I'm writing down a speech or, or, or something like that, I'm telling a, a story and in a, in a certain moment of the story, I remember I felt anger or I felt happiness or I felt something. So now I need to act it out when I'm playing that uh, story for, for an audience. So I think there are many things that we can explore like this theater example, acting or gestures. Posture is also something very important. So we can always, study a certain element of a, of a, of a skill in, in speaking to make it better. So I think Toastmasters is a great starting point. There is a lot of people that know a lot about the technique itself, 
but we can explore other places. So Toastmaster is a starting point, but we can always learn from other places as well. Fantastic. I think that we will come back on another date and explore whether content and delivery is much more important than performance in storytelling because, or in, in Toastmaster speeches, because I think that we place too much emphasis on the performance aspect as distinct from the content and the authenticity. And I, but that's, that's probably for another day's discussion. And I'd love to have that with you. At this point, uh, Jorge, thank you for coming on our podcast. Thank you for the invite, Pat and Philippa. I really enjoyed myself and would like to come back whenever you are ready for me. Well, I think we will have you back when we get through another few people. And thank you again for coming on the podcast. Great conversation. Very much enjoyed it. On the soapbox today is Philippa Gray. Philippa. Thank you, Pat. And actually, I'm not on the soapbox today. I've brought along a pulpit. So I'm going to climb up into the pulpit and tell you about Gilbert White. And it's a pulpit because he was a clergyman. He lived, he's born around 1820. No, died around 1820, I think. Uh, active in the 18th century. He lived close to where I live on the south coast, so he's very much a local hero. His house is open to the public and it's one of my happy places. It's a beautiful extended cottage in the village in Hampshire. So beautiful surroundings, beautiful cottage, and he created a beautiful garden. Now, everybody in Hampshire thinks Gilbert White is world famous. Apologies to those of you who haven't heard of him. He lived very happily, very quietly as a clergyman. He never actually became vicar because he went to the wrong Oxford college. So he didn't know the right people to be appointed as vicar. He had to content himself with being a curate. And to my mind, this is one of his really good qualities. He was content. He lived a very happy life. He was good at what he did. He didn't get married, but he was the eldest of a large family. And he had lots of nephews and nieces and obviously enjoyed their company, enjoyed the company of his parishioners. I think his parishioners loved him because he enjoyed being their curate. He is acknowledged as the world's first ecologist. He loved writing letters. He loved nature. He used to observe and report his observance in letters to his friends. So he would question everything. His letters are full of, I heard this, it is commonly believed that, but I have seen this, which contradicts it, and I am investigating further. 
Now, he was a man of his time. He clearly did love nature, but I've been reading his letters and the surprising number of times that he goes out and shoots things so he can inspect them more closely. And you think about living in a time when you could just go and shoot something with no worries about species being endangered and yeah, I could weep. But he say he loved nature, he created beautiful gardens. He didn't just like the natural world, he grew plants. He grew melons, I think, had a hotbed to uh, ripen them in the English summers. And with one of his brothers, he created a path up out of his garden onto the local uh, ooh, common. It's very steep, but it is fantastic. And that is my idea of a legacy. And to my mind, in a world where achievement counts, we're always we always get the message that we should admire people with lots of money and you have to be driven and ambitious. Reading about somebody who was contented, who loved life, had no personal ambition, but still left behind an amazing legacy, just fills me with inspiration and delight and joy. So, my message for this week is think hard about who you admire. Look out for those people who make you happy. And here ends my sermon. Back to you, Pat. Thank you, Philippa. What a lovely message on our soapbox this week. And listeners, that's it for the Shilling Speakers podcast this week. Thank you to Jorge. Thank you to Philippa. And thank you, Pat. And we will see you again next week. That's it for today from the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share with your friends.